Hello, it's Shelley F. Knight, bringing you Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. So today we're joined by comedian Mike Kaplan, and he has performed on The Tonight Show, Conan, The Late Show with David Letterman, Late Night with Meth, Meth, oh, can't even say it, Late Night with Seth Meyers, and The Late Late Show with James Corden. So there's a lot of late nights, but well done on being here today. Oh, thank you. For me, it is early. It's still morning. So this is not my natural time of, uh, of activity, but I, I'm happy to be here. Oh, bless you. It sounds like I've had a late night for my pronunciation there, hadn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you just can't get the star. Because... Bless you. So you've been busy making the world laugh. There's far more to you than what we mentioned there. But have you always been this happy or have you had some kind of change in your life? Uh, you know, I, I think that the way that I am now, certainly there have been changes in my life. Uh, I don't think... I don't think that I was ever that happiness happiness was always a part of my experience like but I think that earlier on in life it was a more limited like I had a limited view overall like there's there's a I was raised Jewish not particularly practicing but there's something I learned as an adult from the Talmud uh, this book of Jewish wisdom, questions, debates, and such, uh, where a rabbi said uh, he that he, and sort of, I think as a recommendation, but he said that what he did was keep a different piece of paper in each of two pockets. One of the pieces of paper said, this world is created for you. And in the other pocket, have one that says, you are nothing but ash and dust. And, uh, and those are each potentially valuable depending on uh, on where you are in your experience at a given time. Like now I would sort of simplify that by saying like, you are nothing and you are everything. I am nothing and yeah. I am everything. And whichever whichever one of those like resonates with you at any point, it could be valuable to at least consider the other perspective as, you know, uh, as a complement to it because it is both true that we occupy like the center of our own consciousness experience and can't experience anybody else's while we are in the current incarnation of our quote unquote or not quote unquote selves. But uh, also we can know that in the grand scheme of the universe, we are the tiniest fraction of, of being a, a speck in the, the, you know, we live for hopefully, you know, some number of decades compared to the billions of years that there have been and or are, or even if it's only thousands of years or whatever it is, there was a lot before us, there hopefully will be a lot after us. And so this is all to say, growing up, I feel like my family, uh, I was raised, you know, I, I had a house, I was very fortunate, like my parents were teachers, they we weren't, you know, the wealthiest people, but I certainly always had a bed and food and clothing, uh, the the basics, the essentials were taken care of. And so I and I was cared for. And so I feel like my my folks, my family, focused very much on the this world is created for you side of the coin. And it was only growing up learning that uh, also uh, I was nothing. Uh, also, I was ash and dust, that there were experiences that it didn't mean that because I was I, you know, because I'm not any more special than anyone else. We are all, you know, potentially like the best at or capable of being the best at being ourselves. But in the beginning, I was just like, you can do it. You can be, you could be anything. You could be president. You could be, you know. And so I, I grew up with this sort of, you know, self-confidence that like when I started doing comedy served me well, even though it was partially delusional. So I feel like, <laughs> 
I had an experience like learning as an adult that every, not everything that I'd learned about what I'd been told as a child was a lie, but that it was not the whole story. I was not only the most important, I was certainly the most important person to my parents, to my yeah. grandparents, I, but I wasn't the most important person to audiences, to everyone. So I think that that was a major shift for me to understand that there were so many people with so many different experiences that mine wasn't the only one. And it was a kind of being like, oh, wow, that was, if only, I, what if I had known that earlier? And so, you know, there were audiences responding in ways that were like, oh, this is, this is a, a, a questionable experience based on what I've been told that I am special and the best, but they're telling me that they don't feel that way, but I, I'm going to stick with what my family told me. And eventually, you know, growing in, like not having the delusion of the confidence uh, dissipate uh, as the, the skill uh, and experience level and self-awareness increased and I think that uh, going back a little further as well, like my parents divorced when I was about 13 or 14 and we had also moved. Uh, and so even, even I think that the way I was raised, uh, whatever combination of the nature and nurture that has gone into me, like I am such that I'm like, oh yeah, like every, it was all, I was always happy. Or I was always capable of being happy or happiness was always a part of the story or happiness was at least the, the focus, the goal. And at that time, I had just moved and left all the kids that I had known and had to make new friends and was shy and introverted and didn't do the best job of making new friends at the time. And so my high school, you know, my secondary school, whatever, like from age like 13 through 16, I, I was sort of much more isolated in this new town where I didn't know that many kids. I was like, I did well in school and I had friends at school, but they didn't really translate to outside of school. It was just like, oh, these are like my coworkers, I guess. Like, <laughs> I, I'm fine. Like, I wasn't miserable all of the time, but sometimes I did eat lunch alone at my locker because I didn't feel like I had a group of friends that I could just always go and be like, hey, we are friends. I I sit with you and I so I, I definitely I, I didn't view myself as this I mean actually now I'm like I did actually view myself as sad at for a lot of that but I also then compared to like that rain that you know that year-long rain I would go to this summer camp uh, where I was able to sort of bloom like the rain you know planted seeds that then grew these other compassionate you know friendships these other outcasts sort of like misfit weirdo artsy kids who <laughs> maybe maybe some of them were experiencing what I was maybe everyone was experiencing what I was in high school because it's a time when your body and brain and hormones are all changing and you're like oh this is strange every am I and I was, we I, I read a study that said that we as humans as teenagers are not as good at assessing the face of a stranger uh, as being like fearful when it's fearful we read it as angrier so there's a bunch of kids potentially in high school like learn like learning from the outside from their perceptions like i think everyone's angry maybe at me but act and so you're afraid of everyone else but they're also just as afraid of you and even if they are angry that probably comes from fear but certainly i didn't know any of that or have that context as a possibility i was just sort of living partially in fear, partially in isolation, partially, partially in sadness, but then was able to through the, the benefit of growth and the benefit of this magical summer camp that helped me <laughs> learn that there were other like people who would who were just sort of loving as their default as my family had been but I'm like my family has to be but like these are people <laughs> who are getting to know me I think for me not just because of my genetics and that they made me and that I'm part of them and that that it, it's sort of not self-serving but to be like oh we love you because you're us and we love ourselves like which is itself a gift if you look at it from another perspective but uh so then i grew up i went to college and i sort of swung the other direction became more extroverted i'm like isn't this amazing and that's where the delusional self-confidence uh you know kicked in and other kids were like that's a little much and i was like but i was i was so little i was nothing for so long and now i realize that i'm everything so it's just been a pendulum swinging 
from nothing to everything, like, you know, sort of still, still gathering information and being like, oh yeah, they're all true at the same time. And I was, could finally, you know, talk to, like in high school, I couldn't talk to girls. I couldn't talk to anyone. Eventually in college, I started dating people and uh, maybe at the end of high school as well. And then I got married in my 20s. And then that was one of the other first, like as an adult, my one of my saddest uh, experiences was divorcing, even though it was the right thing overall. Uh, we were married for maybe three years. And that, I would say, was a time when I learned that being sad was appropriate at times. That not, not to even think of emotions as appropriate, but that I had thought of myself as a person who was supposed to be happy. I, I thought that I was supposed to be feeling good. Not that, I feel like I wasn't explicitly told that like, you're a happy person. You get to be happy. You must, you must be happy. And sort of but wherever that pressure came from, like I put it on myself and then would beat myself up emotionally during that time when I was, I felt, you know, I've not, uh, dealt with clinical depression, but I felt at least in that moment, uh, I understood how it could be that your emotions felt, uh, my emotions felt out of control. Like I was just, you know, crying and just, I, and I didn't understand at the time that that made sense and that I was piling on even more like challenges to the, the real challenging thing of the loss that I was experiencing. And so I guess this is all to say, no, I wasn't always uh, just exclusively this happy. And I'm also not now, though I am very happy to be talking to you about it all. <laughs> oh, Mike, you're lo so lovely. So the clinical depression, did that come in after the divorce? Or was it rumbling from the teenage years? When did it start? Uh so just to be clear, I have not, I've never been diagnosed. I, I would say that the, the, the depressed feelings that I felt after my, started after my divorce because yeah. of the divorce, because of like more, more like, you know, if I'm not, I, I feel like sometimes the loss of a partner, whether through divorce or, you know, I haven't experienced the loss of a partner through any other means than uh, just deciding to not be together anymore. Uh, but, you know, I've experienced, I recently experienced uh, the loss of a grandmother, uh, though it, it's interesting to even think of it as a loss because, I mean, in one way, you know, her physical presence is no longer, I can't call her on the phone and have her answer anymore, though I can call her up in my mind and think yeah. about her and talk to her. I could call up the podcast I recorded with her and literally listen to her voice. And uh, and so I'm very grateful for that. But it again, it's sort of like a sea of, uh, you know, it's not just happy. It's not just sad. It's sort of all the, all the emotions perhaps amplified. And so when I uh, I would say that I've experienced circumstantial, like even I'd, I would not even necessarily call it depression because of depression's association with, you know, like it's, it is a, a diagnosable clinical mental illness that I don't think I have had, but I've had these circumstantial bouts with sadness because of the loss of a loved, you know, the loss of a grandmother, the loss of uh, a partner uh, to divorce, the loss of, uh, you know, whenever a relationship ends, uh, I've experienced, I think, what makes sense uh, as a commensurate sadness with that experience. And then similarly in high school, I, I, again, I don't think I was clinically depressed, but I, I think I was responding to my, I was either responding to my environment or responding to the, you know, the mental expectations, the, the yeah. thoughts about my environment. Like maybe I told a story that, because when I, when I, my parents and I moved before the divorce, uh, I was like, I had felt like I had lost, you know, my, my old friendships, you know, they were no longer the same kids. Like they were all still going to go to eighth grade together and graduate junior high. And I was starting over in eighth grade with these new kids. And I was like, I don't know how to do it. I don't want to, like, I, I was, uh, not accepting, you know, what had happened, which is, I think one of the ways that we end up, you know, potentially, like there's definitely, there's clinical depression, there's clinical anxiety, and then there's in, you know, everyday, day-to-day, -day, like sadnesses and anxieties yeah. sometimes arise 
from uh, the dis the differentiation, the discrepancy, or not differentiating between what is and what we wish were. I'm like, I wish it weren't like it was. Like, I wish it was like it were it was before, but it's not. But instead of being like, well, okay, I guess it it's not. You know, it's not to say it's the easiest thing to be like. Well, I guess I'm just sad. I just I I ha this loss exists. The loss of my old life, my old way of being, my old everything that I knew. Like I was just a kid already going through changes that would have been even if I was surrounded by the same kids like my body would be changing my mind would be changing like and I just didn't know because you, you know intellectually as a kid like things are going to change because you're like I'm going to be a grown-up but you know like, the process of growing is sometimes you know painful sometimes like you know you work out and muscles like tear and then are rebuilt but uh, if you don't know that emotionally muscles are going to be tearing, you're like, my muscles are tearing. This is awful. I don't understand why. Why is it happening? And so I, I even the, the, the thing I wanted to bring up here is that when I moved and had to start over with all these, you know, new scary kids around me that were just as scared of me or weren't because I remember some neighborhood kids like came when they found out like a new kids in the neighborhood. Like some kids came and knocked on the door and my mom answered and they were like, kind of like, can the new kid come out and play? And I was like, I don't understand. I don't know. I, and I was just sort of already like fearful because I'd been removed from my situation of comfort. And so I, you know, I'm per it some ways uh, self-perpetuated the, the isolation, which, you know, maybe continued to compound again the the set. I was like, I am alone. Nobody wants to hang out with me except for those kids that I don't want to hang out with. Like, <laughs> like the not wanting to hang out is coming from within me. And uh, and so yeah, I would say that there, some of it started again, not clinical, but just circumstantial. Sadness started after my move. My parents moved, and I moved with them. Uh, that'd be something if they moved without me. Uh, they, they <laughs> yeah, moved. whole new issue. <laughs> yeah. So they, we moved and like a move, a, a move was a loss of my, you know, previous foundation, like physically, geographically, emotionally, uh, relationship wise. And then, uh, and then, you know, having to start just adolescence, adolescence is itself its own kind of, you know, gauntlet of, again, like physical, uh, hormonal, emotional, uh, and then also social interactions like within and without. Uh, so yeah, I would say that was like my first taste of, of like things not being exactly the way I would have wished them to be. And then uh, my divorce was like the next like major one as, as an adult. And then, and then everything else has been kind of like gradual, like just being like, oh, like, you know, you, you don't get something that you wished you did. And you're like, oh, I guess that's, that's a thing that happens sometimes. And you, you address it, you confront it, you hopefully, you know, process it and then get over it or remember it forever because it's still a part of you. And then it's just, you know, you get, you hopefully get to decide, I hopefully get to decide what the narrative is. Like, ooh, uh, if it's like, good thing, bad thing, good thing, bad thing. And, you know, there's like this Buddhist story of the, the Chinese farmer who like their horse runs away and they're like, oh, that's no good. And he's like, ah, maybe yes, maybe no. And then the next day the horse comes back with another horse, a wild horse, like, ooh, a new horse. They're like, oh, that's pretty good. Maybe yes, maybe no. And then the, the son starts to try to tame that new horse and he gets thrown off of it and he breaks his leg and they're like, ooh, a broken leg, no good. And the, the farmer's like, eh, maybe yes, maybe no. Then the next day, the army comes to town and they're they're drafting all the able-bodied men and now they don't draft the, the the boy because he just broke his leg i'm like oh that's great he didn't have to join the army and they're like maybe yes maybe no and so you can keep going back and yeah. forth between like which ones in today it might seem like a good thing tomorrow it could be a bad thing today it could be a bad thing tomorrow it's a good thing and so for me, I've always, I, if not always, I now try to conceive of things like, oh, if it's like not my favorite thing, I'm like, that's just on my way to being another favorite thing. If it's like good thing, bad thing, good thing, and that's the end of the story. And now the story starts again, like good thing, bad thing, good thing again. Uh, like if you ever watch a TV show where it ends with a cliffhanger, sometimes you're like, I got to watch the next one. But if you just watch like the first two minutes of the next one, be like, look, that's where the story ends now. It's resolved. Yeah. It resolves. Like you don't have to live in anxiety for another week if, as long as it's something that you can binge and it's not something that you do literally have to wait for another week. But uh, yeah, I think, I think the answer to your question was somewhere in there. Yeah. <laughs> 
bless it. So you grew up and it was like this Jewish faith, not that practicing, but you speak like about Buddha and things like that. Are you still Jewish or do you have a spiritual faith or no uh, faith? I, <laughs> I, I, I would say if, if the question is, do I have faith or no faith? Uh, I would say that I do have faith and, uh, whether I have a faith specifically uh, that is, you know, aligned with one particular set of, you know, rules and dogmas and practices or any of those things. Um, sometimes I think about it like this, like Ju Judaism is sort of like what I am, uh, you know, culturally, historically, like genetically, uh, you know, the fact that I continue to talk this much, uh, <laughs> this, you know, in, 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 in some ways, I'm like, I'm not being Jewish by <laughs> like, by, I don't go to temple on a regular basis. I don't like, I sometimes do light Hanukkah candles because it's, uh, a, it's nice to light a candle when other people are lighting <laughs> candles. If you, if you want to light a candle, light a candle, you know? Uh, but so I feel like I am Jewishness in a way, but I don't do Jewishness, like practically speaking the way, like there's most Jews would be like, you're not as Jewish as other Jews. <laughs> and most non-Jews are like, you're very Jewy. Why are you still talking about it? So uh, <laughs> with respect to Buddhism, uh, it's something that I, I started learning about uh, more as, you know, you hear about it uh, whenever you do. And you're like, oh, I guess I get an idea. You have, like, if you had to describe Buddhism without, like, learning anything about it, like, I wrote jokes about it, like, that I ordered, once I ordered a book on Buddhism, and it hasn't arrived yet, so I feel like it's been been within me this whole time. And uh, I'm, I'm sure the book will say something like, get rid of all your things. I'm like, look, I don't even have the book. So perfect. And like, I think those jokes make sense. But I did start like reading uh, my girlfriend uh, of the past four years, uh, who I love dearly. And I would say, if I have a spiritual practice, it is, I mean, love and like loving my girlfriend, loving my family, loving my friends, like the idea of God being love, like whether that's literal or metaphorical or symbolic or metaphysical, like however it, however it tracks for you, like one of the ways that our relationship uh, manifests, you know, joy in my life is that she has introduced me to so many spiritual teachers and uh, like books and authors and just, I, so I've read uh, Pema Chodron is an American Buddhist nun who has written a ton of books uh, that I think I started with one called Start Where You Are. And then there's, uh, there's things like Practicing Peace in Times of War. And all of the books like are themed around like where, you know, basically where you are and where you can start if you want to, like as not even necessarily, like the idea of a quote unquote spiritual practice, like probably to some people and to myself in the past might've been like, what does that even mean? And part of it for me is now, oh, it means like, like meditation is something that that I started doing maybe five-ish years ago, uh, not in necessarily a Buddhist paradigm, uh, but I just started with Headspace, uh, just an app. And then there's, uh, I moved on to Insight Timer, which I use sometimes. And then there's an app called Waking Up. There's all these apps that like, it's like, oh, so you're using a, a robot to help you get more in touch with yourself, <laughs> you know, your, yourself as a human and all other humans. And like, kind of, yes. I mean, because everything can be a tool. Like, I mean, I could just sit and quiet and listen and close my eyes and we do have like a nice we moved into an apartment that has a nice backyard area there's a garden and so I do like usually meditate inside and then I go sit outside and start like just writing and being in nature uh, if I can start each day so I would say that uh, whether or not these practices are spiritual like I mean I think that I do have practices. I do have these like practical rituals in my life where I might have thought in the past practicing like a specific religious ritual because just because people said to do it, just because the religion is like, <laughs> do this thing, like that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing the things that are now meaningful to me that either have a specific impact on me or that, that make me feel the way that I want to feel that I like I start each day with this, you know, my mindfully as much as possible as opposed to like diving into my phone uh where you know like diving like where i just if open your laptop and be like the the just the storm of social media <laughs> and news and email and things to do there's a my girlfriend introduced me to this book by alan cohen who's another sort of spiritual teacher and the book was like every day just like 365 lessons or affirmations or meditations or fables 
And uh, one of them that really stuck with me was about the formative years of your life compared to the formative minutes of your day. That the formative years of your life, your first several years alive are like so important in determining, like if you don't get enough nutrition, you might not actually grow to the height that you could. Like if you don't get enough food in your body, you might that might impact your whole life. If you don't get enough physical touch, physical affection, emotional care, if in those first formative years of your life, you don't get everything you need. Like, it doesn't mean if you get everything that your life ends up being perfect, but you're set up no. <laughs> for success by how, how those first few years go can have like a great statistical impact on your life. And uh, Alan Cohen suggests that the formative minutes of your day can do that for each day. That if you start by like frenetically, frantically being like, what do I do? What do I, what's happening? You know, but starting each day for some people with prayer, for some people with uh, solitude for some people with meditation, for some people with exercise or being in nature or just taking a moment to be like, this is the beginning of my day. So for me, I do usually start by drinking a ton of water. I've got, uh, if you can see here, this is a gigantic, maybe like liter uh, of, of water that I strive to drink a few uh, every day. Uh, it's a very new, new habit that my girlfriend introduced me to because she read a book about how important water is. And it seems like we know how important water is and no, yet knowing it isn't actually the same as drinking it. So uh, the I'm now, yeah, I'm endeavoring to apply that knowledge. And so I drink while I drink a liter of water while I read either something by Pema Chodron or Ram Dass or Thich Nhat Hanh or Lama Yeshe, or like any spiritual or like I definitely do lean towards Buddhist teachers. Uh, so the idea that I am Jewish, but I feel like I am doing more Buddhist than I am. <laughs> like I'm, uh, uh, but also I'm not being as Buddhist as, you know, uh, some practicing Buddhists might be. Like I'm not, like I, I, I enjoy reading it and engaging with the ideas philosophically, but as far as like there are certain Buddhist practices that I don't do that other friends of mine who are Buddhist might. There's a, there's a joke by a comedian named Mitch Hedberg, uh, who was one of my favorites, and the joke is essentially, he says, uh, somebody, I, I don't have a girlfriend, but I do know a woman who'd be really mad if she heard me say that. And, <laughs> and so some, a friend of mine once asked me, he's like, Mike, are you a practicing Buddhist? And I said, I'm not, but I do know a Buddha who'd probably be pretty fine either way if you heard me say that, you know? <laughs> and so like, I'm certainly more Buddhist than non-Buddhists and less Buddhist than Buddhists. The same as <laughs> I'm more Jewish than non-Jews and less Jewish than Jews. And so I would say that those are some points along, uh, along my path of learning about spirituality, learning about like myself and what works best for me. And that I think that one of the, you know, if there's a spectrum of like spirituality to religion, like religion is maybe something that everyone does. Like it's like, oh, we all do this. Spirituality perhaps is like more on the personal end of things. Like what is, what are your practices? What do you do? It might be also connected to uh, a faith tradition, a religion, but it also might just be like, I do this. Like I meditate each morning in this way. I, I do these free writing exercises afterwards in this way. I, I think about gratitude. I think about kindness. I think about, you know, those things because, because they're helpful to me and they're potentially helpful to others. And even just talking about these things is like, what do you, you know, if I wake up in a frantic state of mind and I sit, sit down to write, like maybe I'll just start from a place of gratitude. Like, what do I have? Like, what, what is abundant in my life? Because I'm grateful to even have the time to sit down and write and express how I'm grateful to have the time to sit down and write. And even if it is that like repetitive, like it's a soothing like concept to, uh, to be like, oh, what do I have? Because most of the time, uh, for me, like, you know, animals aren't attacking me, you know, I, I'm not, uh, <laughs> like, I, I, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we, like, we, we evolved to have these, you know, this evolutionary, like, reaction, these instincts, like, anxiety comes from being like, oh, is that a threat? Like, should I run, you know, is, and most of, most of the threats that, and some people are living with actual physical threats in their lives, and uh, and I hope I, I want them to not. I would love for everyone to be at a place where, but uh, where that is not so. And I know that for me, like right now, like there's a, a book called The Gift of Fear that I read, uh, again recommended by my girlfriend. And one of the things in it. Uh, <laughs> 
she, so my religion is my girlfriend, essentially. But uh, <laughs> but my the, in this book, it talks about like one of the things that really stuck with me is that like when an animal is afraid, like if a zebra senses a lion, it doesn't stop and think like I am afraid of what that lion might do to me. It's just instinctually running. Like when there is a, a reason for fear, like then the then that just takes over, and that we as humans, because of the the brain mechanisms that we've evolved and developed, we now like we have the capacity to think outside of the moment. You know, like animals are in a way more zen than we sometimes are or have the capacity for. But the thing is that when we are thinking like, I'm afraid of something that's going to happen, if we have the, the wherewithal and the time and the energy and the, moment, the, the presence, if we're in the moment thinking like, I'm afraid of that thing, that means that right now, that thing isn't happening. Like if there was a lion coming after us, we would also be running. We wouldn't be like, what should I, which way should I go? What should I, you know, what should I do? Or maybe with like a bear, what we're like, Buddha do I, say? yeah. What would and Buddha do? Exactly. I think Buddha might, maybe Buddha would sit there and who knows, but. Yeah, uh, levitate. But, yeah, I, yeah, le levitate, yeah, that would definitely, if I could do that, but then definitely levitate, <laughs> like for a bear, play dead. For a lion, levitate above the lion, wonderful. Uh, but we'd be running. So if you're, if you have the moment, I learned, I'm like, oh, most of the time, the things that I am afraid of aren't happening, you know, like yeah. ultimately the, the largest fear maybe of death, of non-existence, of, of whatever change is happening, whatever, like, oh, what is the unknown future? Like, it's definitely not here yet because like now is the only thing that's here. And so I guess I would say that the the thing that I've gained most from Buddhism, like I have a friend who is raised Buddhist, and she said that like meditation for her, uh, and as I understand it, is like all of the the meditation like coaches and teachers and apps and guides. the The goal is like not to like one more analogy. There's a book I read called Several Short Sentences on Writing, and the the author Klinkenborg uh, offers. He says, "I'm gonna." teach you not to write like me, but hopefully I'm going to help you write like you, like hopefully help you discover like what works for you and what, who you are as a writer and what, how you can be the best you version of yourself. How you can be the best writer that you can be, not just to mimic me. And that meditation is the same way. Like it's, you don't meditate because somebody's like, here's how you do it and just do it and don't even think about it. Don't feel it. Don't reflect. Like the goal of meditation for me, and I think for many, uh, but I can only know it for me as I understand it, is do it, and if you gain value in it, then that is why you do it. Like try it because someone suggested it who maybe made sense or it, you respect that, like, oh, you're living your life in a way that makes sense to me. Like I've heard there are both scientific, valuable, like empirical data that support meditation being helpful to a person. And then also like the woo-woo community is like, like science and magic both agree that meditation makes sense. So like, why don't I give it a shot? So I tried it and I was like, I don't even know if I'm doing it right. I'm just, I feel like I'm just sitting here listening to a person tell me to breathe and I already was breathing. And now but just to focus on my breath and try not to have my mind wander off. But if my mind what does wander off and I realize that, then, oh, just note that and then come back and like try to let the thoughts flow. Like, oh, they're just like, like thought, like clouds in the sky and the sky is always there. Even if the clouds are blocking and be like, oh, just let those, oh, there's a cloud and there it goes. And oh, I'm the sky again, or the sky is present. And that, so that the idea of meditation for me, like eventually I was like, oh, this is like I, something shifted in my mind that I was like, oh, I think this is what the thing is. And as I was thinking that, I'm like, oh, this isn't it anymore. But like, while <laughs> I felt, I felt that meditation had a positive, had a, it, it affected me in a way that I appreciated that I felt valuable and meaningful. And that's why I meditate, not because somebody said to do it, but because I found that it was valuable. And so that's, I feel like a thing that is often with, with faith, people are like, the whole point of faith is that you can't verify it, that you believe in something yeah. that is beyond you, that you'd be like, well, I just, I just believe in this thing. But that 
this spiritual practice of meditation is almost the, like by definition, the opposite, that it's something that you can check for yourself. And that in some ways you, you must, you get to check for yourself that like all of life is in a way like that, that we're given all these, inform all, all these pieces of information by our families, by our teachers, by our, our environment, by our culture, by media, you, you get, access to everything that you see and sense and take in and then what do you focus on like what what are the things that you choose from like the infinite buffet of life to be like this one seems valuable to me i'm going to continue to like what as tiknat han would say like water this seed you know if somebody angers you you can water the seed of anger or you can water the seed of like compassion and understanding and empathy and forgiveness and then whichever ones you water then those grow and like that sort of matches this like Native American uh, folk uh, like myth, I think that I've heard where like a grandparent says to a grandchild, like e inside each of us, there are two wolves. One wolf represents compassion and love and all of these, you know, these beautiful emotions that you'd love to experience. And then one represents anger and fear and negativity and doubt. And then the child says, which one wins in the battle between these wolves? The, the grandparent says the wolves are at constantly battling. They say, which one wins the battle? And the grandparent says, whichever one you feed. And so yeah. you can, whether you want to think about it as plants that you're watering or animals that you're feeding or just, you know, where, where we are focusing, like, and I can't live anyone, I can't, I can't make anyone else do anything. I can hardly make myself do something, but I do, <laughs> if I can make anyone do something, it is myself. And so I've, I'm grateful that I've gotten these lessons from all, all these different, you know, sort of faith traditions or uh, spiritual paths that uh, that most of the great teachers that I've like listened to and read and experienced the the teachings of the wisdom of like the wisdom as this like the moon that every finger is pointing at like oh yeah like that it all at the core like every religion and every faith tradition that is you know that is valuable uh, is it's all about love love for self love for others forgiveness atonement you know not to say just like view everything with a positive brush but to you know both be present and engage with what is there when there is sadness address the sadness when there is joy like express the joy like experience like gratitude and compassion and love and so like some of some people have said like every i feel like every teacher like the dalai lama has said like if you're jewish be jewish if you're buddhist be buddhist and i'm like oh man that makes me want to be buddhist even though i'm jewish but uh there's like a yin yang there and like all of these teachers are like you know whatever all of the paths can get you there that like yeah. there's this this jewish imagery uh a, a, a rabbi rabbi kligfeld uh, who I have interacted with and a friend of mine is friends with, and he passed along this sermon that he he gave me once. Uh, he gave a sermon and then he passed along the sermon to me. And the sermon is basically about, imagine like a wall or like a sheet on the other side of which is like the, the light and love and God and truth of everything. Just there's this light that represents universal like oneness and connection and communion. And then this, we are on the other side of this this barrier and there are holes in it and we can we can see the light coming through it and then if you get close to any one hole like it could be the judaism hole or the atheism hole or the hinduism or islam or zoroastrianism or catholicism or uh ayahuasca or you know psych different psychedelics like each one or science like there's all these different holes that you can as you get closer to it like then the light comes through stronger and you're like oh that's why jewish people might be like man there's so much judaism is so rich like this seems like the one and then catholicism like oh this one seems rich this seems like the one whichever one you're looking through you can look deeper and deeper and deeper and get more and more of the light and if you stay farther back you can be like oh there's like a lot there's light coming from all of them like the light is the truth on the other side like the the fingers are all pointing at the same moon like the paths are all leading up the same mountain it's just different the same truth being spoken in different languages and so that i feel like uh my, my buddhist friend a, a friend of mine who teaches buddhist classes that i go to sometimes like and he is a practicing buddhist and he he and i were talking recently he's like do you think that like there's something lost if you are like not following one path specifically he's like i've chosen to follow this path but it seems like you are more a pioneer in all these directions you know 
And definitely like there are things that are, would be potentially lost either way, like that you in, in a given human life, you can only, you only live a certain amount of time and you cannot learn everything in that life that exists because there there's billions of years and billions of humans worth of experiences so we get to choose our own path and if you want to choose one path and go deep 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 into that that makes sense and if you want to choose to uh, have an assortment like then i'm like oh i wouldn't even have all of these analogies if i didn't experience and explore and I'm like he's you know if he believes he's a buddhist who believes in reincarnation i'm like maybe next time you'll do what i'm doing maybe last time you did what I'm doing. Yeah. Maybe next time I'll do what you're doing. Uh, and Or if you're like, well, this is the only one, so get out of it what you can, then certainly this is the only time that I get to be me in this moment. So I would say, uh, yes, I do have a, a spiritual practice and uh, this is it. Bless you. There we go. In a nutshell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So you're really well read. I've got that. But I was going to say, I was going to say, what's the best advice you ever had? So I thought you spoke about your grandmother and I was raised by my grandparents. I think they're amazing. Um, what's the best piece of advice your grandmother ever gave you? Uh, that's really, a, that's a great question. I And I say that because I don't know that I've ever been asked that about her. I'll, here's what springs to mind immediately is, uh, so I've been, uh, I've been doing comedy for a long time, and the the latest album that I just put out, there's one one portion of it where uh, it evokes something that my grandmother. I don't speak about her exactly, but there's part of it that I realized. Uh, I'm like, oh, I think this is coming from me and my experience, and then also I'm like, oh, and also it's like literally a thing that she had uh, in her home, at like sort of a, a sign, like just in the front hall, like one of the first things you see when you come in her her condo it was a, a sign that said, be nice or get out. <laughs> and like that's, I, I feel like that encapsulates like so much of like who she was. Cause yeah. it's like, it's, it's itself sort of like this yin yang of experience that like it really represented who she was. Like she was kind and loving. She loved me like for who I was, regardless. She would say to me like, I, I'm, when I'd call her, she would say, I'm just happy to hear your voice. And then she's like, oh, I gotta go now. She's like, I heard it, that's enough. You know, <laughs> She doesn't need to hear it say specific things for a certain amount of time. She's just like, your voice, check, got it, all right, that's it. Like, it's, it's just nice to hear it. I heard it, I know it, I can remember it. And now it's nice for me to even just imagine that. And so I guess in a way that was like not explicit advice that she gave me, but that she was essentially like showing, if not telling, like that who I was, that, you know, I was loved for who I was, that I, you know, that, and that essentially we are all like lovable, that we yeah. all start as babies. We all start pre-babies where, you know, before you're born, like you certainly didn't do any, maybe you did something, but you know, if you believe in past <laughs> lives and karma, but certainly for this incarnation, like you start as a baby and that baby didn't do anything to anyone. And we, I think most people, most reasonable people, most caring people, which I think is most people would be like, that baby deserves love. That baby yeah. deserves love. And if, again, like if the baby doesn't get the love that it needs, then it might grow up in a way that we'd understand be like, oh my God, of course that person turned out the way that they did. If you, if you know the history of a person's experience, then you, you of course would have sympathy because you can just trace it back all the way. Every action has a, you know, an equal and opposite reaction. Like, of course that, like, you know, we can know for ourselves, like if we say something to a loved one or a stranger that we wish we didn't afterwards, we might be like, oh, is it because I was hungry or tired or hadn't drunk enough that day? Like whatever it was, had I just gotten bad news? Had I been stuck in traffic? Had I been dealing with a global pandemic? Like, of course, it <laughs> it makes sense why I'm why we're not all necessarily in the best mood as our best selves all the time. And we know our own story. We know at more than anyone what we're experiencing internally and externally to be like, oh man, like I'm I'm sorry I said that. This is what I was experiencing. And then to be able to be like, okay, well, then probably other people are also having their own internal internal experiences that can uh, explain, if not justify, if not say like it's right for someone to like say a, a, a cruel thing, a mean thing, a harsh thing, but clearly either something just happened to them or something happened to them long ago. Like we, there's one of the books 
one of the spiritual texts that my girlfriend introduced me to is called A Course in Miracles. Uh, yeah. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, I've got it, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I had never, like before Marianne Williamson was running for president in America, uh, we, my girlfriend knew her and she essentially, that she essentially, you know, is a, a spiritual, uh, a guide in, and she sort of preaches in the gospel of A Course in Miracles. And so we went to see her speak a number of times. Uh, and there's really, I mean, there's good stuff in there. It's like another like there's a thing a thing in there that really speaks to me that really i mean speaks to i think so much is that uh a course in miracles offers uh everything in life every action everything that any person does is either an offering of love or a call for love and if, so if it's an offering of love very clear be like oh that that's what a what a kindness what a blessing what a yeah. what a beautiful thing this person is offering and then if somebody is rude or aggressive or mean or says or does something they'd be like i wish they didn't do that like why did they do that and the reason why they did that is that it is literally you know in a way a call for love they they are coming from a place of you know fear doubt insecurity like the the seeds that we wish weren't watered being watered but yeah. that go back long enough that ultimately it's like i wish it were a a better way like my i have a friend named ramin nazer who uh, makes beautiful art uh, on Instagram and books. And one of the arts that he made like, was actually similar to a joke that I heard years earlier. And I don't remember the name of the comedian who came up with, who, who said this joke. I wish I did. Uh, I, gotta, I gotta find it. But, uh, but I do wanna credit Ramin for having this similar idea. But the way this comedian expressed it was, he said, uh, I wish, uh, he has, he's like, okay, here it is. Uh, he says, I have a friend who told me, I wish that chocolate, that, that chocolate cake tasted like crap. And he's like, why do you wish that? He's like, because it, the way that it tastes now, like I eat so much of it and then I gain weight because it's so unhealthy and I don't want to be so unhealthy. And so he says, I said to that friend, well, why don't you just wish for chocolate cake to be healthy then while you're, while you're wishing? Why, why do you want to wish for a thing that's bad in some way to be bad in another way? Why don't you wish for it to be good in all the ways? Like, why not, while you're wishing, why not wish for chocolate cake to be the most delicious, healthy thing? And that now is an analogy to like that so valuable and beautiful that you can be like, okay, I, if somebody hurts you, you could wish for them to suffer the same way that they made you suffer, or you could wish for your suffering to be gone and their suffering to be gone. Whatever, yeah. like wish for it, be like, do you want to feel the best? And if you feel the best at your best, do you also want everyone else to, like if they've done something that hurts someone, what do you wish for them to suffer or die or go to jail? Or do you wish for them to realize what they've done and learn and make meaningful amends to, to try and actually atone? And one of the things that Marianne Williamson once said that I liked is, uh, if, if forgiving someone doesn't mean you have to have lunch with them, like forgiveness is often a gift that we can give ourselves to, you know, they, the thing that they've said, uh, that's been said, what is it? Uh, like holding a grudge is like, uh, taking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Yeah. And I would add to that, that taking, that not holding a grudge, that letting go of a grudge, that forgiveness, if you can, if you're at a place where you'd be like, I want to let go of this. It doesn't mean I'm going to be friends with the person, but I want to stop focusing on it and thinking about it. Letting go can be like taking vitamins and then hoping that everyone else gets healthier. <laughs> I love and, that. <laughs> and so that, the idea... Uh, that you can, we could, we could wish at our best for everyone to, and that's sort of like uh, it li aligns with Buddhist teachings. Like the goal of enlightenment in some, some versions of Buddhism that I've read about, maybe all of them, is that the goal of enlightenment is not so that you become more powerful, that you become more loving, just by that you, because you exist, uh, and you you start to see everyone as part of the same thing. That we are all one in a way, all one universe, all one species, all one humanity, all one planetary uh, and universal thing, and that the goal of enlightenment is to also help other people achieve it. The the goal that like I want to increase, I want to be as healthy as I can, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and then also help everyone else experience that mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health as much as is possible. And so uh, this is all to say, when my grandmother said, be nice or get out, it's yeah. nice, like, you know, I like the, the be nice. And then 
if you, the thing is, if there's someone who's not being nice, like you, you can do your best to understand that it's coming from a place of calling for love uh, of of their their past either a former life or earlier in this life probably like that they they didn't receive enough love that we all don't we aren't we're all while we're living in this world not receiving a constant stream of beautiful love a la like I, I wrote a song once that I was uh, it was about my grandmothers both of them and it was something like I'm just looking for someone to love me the way that my grandmothers do which is in this you know this pure unadulterated I'm just happy to hear your voice like doesn't matter what you say or what you do if anyone else says that you didn't do the right thing I, I am on your side not their side what audience wouldn't want to hear the things that you say even like I told her once I was going to perform on a cruise ship and I was concerned that Maybe not everyone would like all the things that I had to say because they weren't on, they weren't just coming to the show to see me. They were just on the ship. And my girl's like, who wouldn't like the things that you say? And I'm like, well, it sounds like you don't like the thing that I'm saying right now. But she's like, I love you and I love everything that you say. And I don't care that I'm saying it in this tone. Like, I love you. I'm loving of you. Be nice or get out. Be nice to yourself or get out of my sight. You know, and so just the, I, that advice that we can both, you know, the idea of yelling, be nice at someone, which is part of one of my jokes in this album, uh, like the idea that, you know, yelling, be nice, isn't necessarily the nicest way to get that message across, but the message is there. Like the, the sound of someone's voice, uh, notwithstanding, like being kind to ourselves, being kind to others, like loving people for who they are, loving yourself for who you are. Like there's one, one more Buddhist teacher that I, I like quoting is, uh, I think his name is Shunryu Suzuki. And he said to his students, he's like, you are all perfect exactly as you are. And also you could all stand some improvement. And that, <laughs> that is what we all are. Like we all only could have become who we are based on the genetics and environmental circumstances that, uh, that preceded us. Be the, the universe all happened the way it did and we can't undo it until time travel is real, which so far only seems like we can travel forward in time. Time. but like everything that happened led us to be who we are this is the only way so it has to be the quote-unquote best way the most perfect way because it's the only one and also we certainly can improve ourselves and then also the world around us so I would say yeah be be nice or get out but mostly be nice is the like I'm glad that that part is first not just because it's alphabetical Bless you. Well, sadly, talking of time travel, we are out of time, but I wanted to what? thank you for joining us. Oh, wow. And I... if people want to find you, you're Mike Kaplan, but that's M-Y-Q. And you've got that happening you, all over all your social media channels. I do. That is definitely so. Uh... Fabulous. I, I'm uh, I'm so grateful that we had this time. I imagine you might have had many more questions that I uh, I would have also answered at extreme <laughs> uh, length. I'm uh, I like I, I like quantity, and I also I, I my goal is to have the highest quantity of quality, and so I'm, <laughs> I'm talking the the fastest that I can to get it all in. But uh, thank you, thank you so much. You I really appreciate the opportunity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kickbook from all online book retailers or from shellyfknight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelley F. Knight, Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing.